So this morning, I want to take you back to your high school graduation. You shouldn't be laughing, okay? So uh, yeah. So maybe you can uh, think back to that for a graduate's graduation is coming up for most of them. Depends on where you live. Some I know have already had their commencement services. But for the rest of you, what do you remember about your high school graduation? I went to a real small Christian school. There were only 13 kids in our class. So I remember about like our high school graduation, like the pop and circumstance, the processional. Like they played the introduction and we were all standing there already. And uh, they actually, yeah, it didn't take very long to get 13 people into the room. I, I remember rehearsing. They're like, do not go until the person before you gets all the way to where they're going. So we're coming in like one at a time in the auditorium just to slow the whole thing down. I thought you might enjoy this uh, picture here. Yeah, so it's such a cute kid there in the middle, wasn't he? So uh, yeah, that's my high school graduation. I went and dug it out of a box in the basement. It's kind of, sorry, most of, most of my life is just in this one little shoe box. And uh, we dug that picture out there. That was my high school graduation. And uh, actually, my high school was a great experience, and, and we had a, a great time there. College. Some of you maybe went on to college and you can remember your college graduation. I remember very little about my college graduation for a couple of reasons. I didn't really uh, have a great college experience and I actually finished like in the fall semester, but you couldn't march until the spring. And so it was like five months between when I actually finished and when I actually graduated. I do remember when I took my last test ever in college. And I was like, this is so awesome. I will never have to do this again. But just for fun, this, yeah, there we go. There is, there is the college graduate. Look at all that hair. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> so that's my mom. And uh, that was when I actually graduated from college. I actually went on to, to uh, work on a master's degree uh, several years later. In that graduation, I didn't even go to the ceremony. And uh, they just said, you know, you don't have to come. It was in Chicago. I was living in South Bend. They were like, we'll just mail you your diploma. I'm like, that sounds great. And uh, by that time, I was kind of done with graduation. So, so they mailed me my diploma with some other dude's name on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. Like, it was something like, like Ken McIntosh or something like that. And I was like, wow, I just earned this master's degree and I got this diploma with this guy's names on it. And then I realized, though, that he got a better degree than I did. I was going to mail it back, but nah, you know, a little white out, it doesn't wonders there. So uh, Ken Wood, you know, it works for me. But anyhow, we all have our memories there of graduation and of commencement. And probably you have some memory, at least maybe not of your own, but you, you go to the graduation ceremony and you go to that service and there's always some guy who's supposed to stand up and talk to the graduates and give them some type of advice that's going to change their lives. But he's got to do it in 15 minutes or less. And it's like, okay, you know, we've been educating you now for 13 years but this last little nugget here is going to be the, the piece that actually gets you over the top. Does anybody remember, like, the graduation speaker at your commencement, just out of curiosity? Wow. I actually remember, oh, Tag Smith, okay? So, like, if you graduated, like, last year, you probably should still remember or something like that. But uh, I actually remember it was a guy by the name of Ron Riley. 
and I was with the speaker at our commencement event, and he told this story, and I actually remember the story that he told. But for the most part, most graduation speeches are pretty much the same, aren't they? There's some variation of, you know, go live a great life, be all that you can be, leave your mark on society, fulfill your potential, and go change the world, guys. Go change the world. And you know what I find, my personal opinion, some of those uh, commencement speeches aren't really all that helpful. You know, go change the world. Okay, yeah, but how do we do that? And, you know, like, that actually sounds a little bit intimidating if you think about it. Like, okay, I'm supposed to go change the world. How does that work? And especially when you're 18 years old. I mean, 18 years old, you probably, at that point in your life, you didn't even know what you were going to do next. And you're probably a little bit freaked out knowing about, the, like, you didn't have a locker anymore. Like, what are you going to do with all of your life? You could do like my kids. They just took it all in the locker and threw it in the backseat of their car. And that's where it lived for the next several years. But you're at that stage of life when you don't really know what you're supposed to do. And, and here we are as parents and here we are as educators. And we're like, hey, we are releasing you into the world. We're releasing you into the wild, into the wilderness, as we've been talking about in this series here. And if you're 18 years old now or you're 22 years old, wherever you happen to be, what age stage you happen to be in, you look at this world and say, gosh, you're releasing me into a crazy place. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on worldwide here. We've got uh, war going on in Europe, and there's all kinds of things that are going on even nationally, and we see all of these hate crimes, and we, we see all of the, the rhetoric and all of the controversy, and everything's just swirling. And I think for a lot of students, a lot of kids, and, and maybe even for a lot of adults, and maybe for even some of us who graduated a long time, we just look at this and go, whoa. It's kind of overwhelming, and I'm afraid that too many of our kids stand at this moment with fear and not with hope. But for every student, for every young person, for every person in this room, let's not stand and look at this world with hope or without hope. We have hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ. We have hope in a God who is sovereign, who reigns and rules in our world, and there is always hope. But how does this work? When we graduate and we're supposed to go out there and spread our wings and fly, let me just say a few things. You know, you don't have to figure it out right now. And you can go to a job or you can go to college. You can make changes along the way. You can even go back for your master's. I was actually in my 30s when I went back and got my master's. You don't have to have it all figured out right now. You just want to get started in the right direction. And so this morning, I want to talk to all of our graduates that are coming up on a commencement but I want to talk to all of our graduates, and if you've been through a commencement of your own when they gave you that little piece of paper that somehow was supposed to make you a different person, if you've gone through that process and you have that diploma, even if it's stuffed away somewhere, maybe you don't even know where it is, but if you're a graduate, I want to talk to you. If you've walked across the platform at some point in your life and gotten that piece of paper... This is for you this morning, but I want to take you back, as I said at the beginning, I want to take you back to your commencement ceremony, and I want you to kind of remember the person that you were, and I want you to think about all those things that you wanted to accomplish, all those places that you hoped to visit, or the, or the people that you wanted to meet, or the adventures that you wanted to go on, the ideals that you wanted to pursue, that person that you hoped that you would become. 
I think for all of us, whether it was then or now, even as we sit here this morning, it's like, you know what? I want to be that person. I mean, I want to be great. I want to do great things. I want to think great thoughts. I want to write great books or build great houses. I want to be that great person. In fact, it would be fine if I were the greatest. Like, we want to succeed. We want to be first. The problem is that award's already been given. And Jesus Christ actually gave out that award. It says in Luke chapter 7, verse number 28, he says this, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. You can't be number one. John's been given the award. So we're all here this morning just fighting for number two. But maybe that's what John had figured out that nobody actually gets to be number one, at least not as we're talking about it this morning. So we want to look at John, we want to explore his story, and we want to explore why he was so great, why Jesus considered him the ultimate success story. And Chris, as you're sitting back there and I'm looking at you, in my office, there is a box on one of the shelves to the right that I forgot to bring with me. Could you grab that for me? It's about six inches tall. But as we look at John the Baptist here, what was it about him where Jesus said, yeah, he was the ultimate. Yeah, he was the best. The best born among women. There's nobody greater. What was it that made him so great? And we're going to look at John chapter 3. John, the book of John is written by John the Apostle, not John the Baptist. There's John, or as Mark called him last week, John the Baptizer. It gets a little confusing because there was a lot of people named John uh, that, that were walking around at the time when the Bible was written here. But uh, John the Apostle tells a story about John the Baptizer. And in this passage, I think, defines success for us. And that's what I want to talk about today, because there's common views out there of success. Success is having a good job, or success is living the American dream, or success is owning a great house, or success is getting a great education, or success is having an awesome career, winning awards, and, and having a platform, and having a follower, and following, like, you know, success is having a million TikTok followers. That makes you a success, right? Or success is converting your panel van into a camper. Nope, it's, uh, it's a cardboard box with pencils in it. Okay, um, success is having a great family, success is serving a church, success is winning public office. We have all these different things that we say success is, and those might be indicative of success. And at the same time, they might not be, because you might be successful because you got to that place, or you may never get to that place and still in your life be successful because it's not those things that actually define success for us. Success is going to be different for every person. And here's why. It's going to be different for every person because Jesus decides success for us. So it's not like there's some big um, like poster up there that we can take all our achievements and we compare, compare it to that poster and say, oh, look at my, my achievements match this poster here, so I must be successful. And, and so whatever this model is, and we hold ourselves up to that, it doesn't work like that. It works differently from that. Jesus says, hey, you know what? I'm the one who's going to decide whether or not you're successful. And he, um, he decides here in John the Baptist case that he was indeed successful. So we can say it this way. Success is measured 
by how Jesus views the way that we live our lives. Success is measured by the way that Jesus views the way that we live our lives. So let's jump into the story. It's in John chapter 3. John the Baptist, we've been talking about him in this series on Wilderness Guide. We're going to start reading in verse number 22. And it says, after this, and after this, the, what came before that was Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus. That's within the first part of John chapter 3, just to give you a little context. But after that, uh, not the same day, but this is kind of the next on the timeline, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them, and he baptized now, John was also baptizing at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water there and people were coming and being baptized. And really, baptism was really more of John's ministry than it was of Jesus' ministry. And we see this one example here where Jesus and his disciples were evidently baptized, but that was really something more that John was known for. And then it says here in verse number 24, this was where, before John was put in prison, John the Baptist was put into prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And that certain Jew, we assume here, was possibly a follower of Jesus. So there's an argument that's going on between this guy and these followers of John. And it says about ceremonial washing, but we think that what they're debating here is this whole idea of baptism. And so they're arguing over, well, whose baptism are we supposed to get? Are we supposed to get Jesus' baptism here? Or are we supposed to get John's baptism? And there's evidently some contention there. Now, Mark said in the message last week that I would be talking more about baptism this week. Um, I'm really going to punt it down the road a little bit, and we will get back to that. But John's baptism was, a, a, it was the equivalent of what they called ceremonial washing in that day. And so if you go back into the Old Testament history, the priests would come and they would offer the sacrifices. And when they were done with the sacrifices, they would actually go through this ceremonial washing. And they were actually washing the residue of the sacrifice off. But it was also the idea, it was, it was symbolic of washing the, the sins of the, of the world that came with, that, with, with, the, with the sacrifice there. And so ceremonial washing was actually a literal thing that they did to say that the sins have been washed off the priest at this time. And so as John was baptizing, it was, sim it was symbolic of this idea that your sins have been washed off you. And it was a, a baptism of repentance. Now we practice baptism today. It's a little bit different, and I will get to this in another week. But this is what's going on here. And when it talks about you know the ceremonial washing, they were talking about a baptism. So these followers came to John the Baptist and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one that you testified about, and actually the one that you baptized, look, he is now baptizing, and everybody is leaving you and going to him. You're losing your crowd, you're losing your following, and you actually baptized him. This doesn't seem right to us, John. We, we think you're getting a raw deal here, is what they're basically saying. And here's how John replies in these next four verses, where we really want to focus here this morning. It says, John replies, a man can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. 
that joy is mine, and now it is complete. In other words, this, this isn't about me. I, I'm just like the best man. If you go to the wedding, it's about the groom, not, not about his buddy. And that's who I am about here, and he has come. My joy is complete. And then he says this in verse number 30. He must become greater, and I must become less. And in this passage here, especially these last four verses, John says two main things. And in these two things, he tells us what it means to be a success. And I think he tells us how it came to the point where Jesus could look at John the Baptist and say, yeah, he's number one. There's never been anybody born among women who's superior here to John the Baptist. And so let's point out these two things. We've got some subpoints that go with them because this is how we can be successful in our lives too. First of all, we need to realize that it's all from God. If you go back to verse number 27, it says this, John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. And so up to this point, I've had a following. Up to this point, people have been coming to me as I've been baptizing. But all of that that's happened hasn't been because I'm so great at this. It hasn't been because of the weird clothes that I wear, the weird things that I eat. No, everything that's been happening here is because God has been blessing the work that I've been doing. And it's important for all of us to remember that it all comes from God. And we're not just talking about ministry here. We're talking about life. Whatever you have, it comes from God. Whatever the assets are that you own, it comes from God. Whatever the opportunities that you enjoy in life, it comes from God. Whatever the, the privileges that you live in, it comes from God. Whatever the talents and skills and abilities that you have, it comes from God. Whatever you are able to do with your life, it's a gift from God. You didn't do anything to earn it. And sure, maybe you have a talent. Sure, maybe you developed that talent. But that talent came from God. And even the drive, I think, to develop, that may have come from God. But everything that we have comes from God. And we need to get that into our head. Everything that I have has been given to me by God. So that means, first of all, we need to be humble. I think there's a tendency sometimes to, to start to think that we're all that. Well, look what I can do, and look, look what I've achieved, and look how far I've gotten in my life, and look at these titles that I have, or, or look at these awards that I've won. It, and, and we can become very much into ourselves. I was talking to somebody this week in a um, conversation, and somebody that comes from a, another ministry across the country, and just something that got said in passing, and I was like, I don't know why exactly you needed to share that, but it didn't come across as particularly humble. I didn't say anything to him. But I was just sitting there listening to that, and it's like, um, we just go there so many times. So, you know, we had a great Sunday, so it has something to do with me? No, not really. It has a lot to do with God. And so if, if you had a, a great, you know, sales quarter at work, it has a lot to do with you? Yeah, yeah maybe. But it also has a lot to do with God. And so we need to be humble in our lives. 
I think when we're young, we have a tendency towards arrogance. We kind of know everything. Do you remember when you were 18 or 22 or whatever? I remember when I was an expert on marriage, and then I got married, and you know, then I was an expert on kids, and then I had kids. You know. But we're like that. We start there. But maybe sometimes I think we move away from the arrogance where we know everything, and sometimes we move maybe towards self-righteousness. Like, we are everything. We've, we've kind of like, look how far we've come in this area. Look at how much I've improved and how much I've grown. And look at the person that I've become. It doesn't fit with this idea that it all comes from God. Humility is so missing in today's world, and in the Christian world too. But if we're going to be a success in God's eyes, we need to be humble. Secondly, we need to be grateful. If it all comes from God, it's not ours. It wasn't because we deserved it. We were given this as a gift. We need to be grateful. So whatever the assets, skills, or opportunities that you have, those things are all a gift. You didn't earn that. You didn't win that. It wasn't that God's like, okay, I got to give it to him because he's so deserving. It's that God looks at us, and because God is good, he's going to say, let me give you these gifts. And whatever it is that you enjoy in life, whether it's a material blessing or whether it's an opportunity or whether it's a relationship, we need to live our lives gratefully. It's all from him. And we need to be reminded of that, and we need to live that way. And we need to embrace the concept of gratitude and express it often, especially to God. Every day we should be saying, thank you, God, for what you've given me. And this is what John is saying. Hey, you're worried about me being upset about losing all these followers. I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful that I got to be the one who came before the Messiah. And so we need to live with gratitude. And thirdly, we need to live responsibly. The way that we treat a gift has a lot to say about what we think of the giver. The way that we treat a gift has a lot to say with what we think of the giver. And so God gives us these abilities of life, and maybe, you know, you have this great sense of humor, and, 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 and that draws people to you. Well, how do you use that gift well? Um, maybe you've been, been given a, a lot of material resources. How do you give, use that gift well? Maybe you've been given a, a lot of opportunities in, in your world. How do you use that gift well? We are stewards and here's the idea, and we're going to get to this next. But we are given these gifts. It all comes from God, but it's not for us. It's not for us. God's purpose is never for us to be great in and of ourselves. It's never for us to say, for him to bless us. And so we can say, well, look at what, we've, look at what I've done, how I've, I've Leaned into my potential and I've made much of myself here. That's what, not what God's after. God's after for us to take those gifts and sure to develop them because they are not for us and they are for other people. So you think about that. In John's life, the gifts that God gave him were to be used for others. You, you have, he must have had a strong personality. He must have been a commanding speaker. We would assume that because the crowds are coming to hear them. And maybe there's, there's some charisma there, and, and you know, maybe there's the supernatural involved. But all of those opportunities, they were coming to John, but not so John could say, well, look at this following I have. It's so that John could say, I'm so glad that you're here. Let me tell you 
this, this message of repentance, how it can make a huge difference in your life. And so the gifts that we have are never for us. First of all, it's for others. And it's reflected in how we value other people, how we share with other people, how we treat other people, how we serve other people, and even how we point other people to Jesus. And that's the second reason that we're given all these gifts. It's all for Jesus. And John understood that. He knew who the bridegroom was. So whatever it is that you have, it's not for you to collect and to pile up in a mass. It's for you to take whatever this gift is from this guilt to this talent to this ability, this opportunity, and to take it and to use it for others, to use it to point people to Christ, and to use it in service for Jesus Christ. But in the process of that, what we do is we make ourselves number two. And we make Jesus Christ number one. And so I have these gifts for you. You'll get them on the way out because I forgot to bring them in. Um, Chris just went and got the box there. It's this little yellow pencil because I thought it fit with uh, graduation Sunday. But what's the thing right up by the eraser that every little pencil that we use in school is supposed to say? Number two. And I want you to take it home today or put it somewhere this week where you'll be reminded of the idea that success is being number two. Let's just talk about that real quickly here. I'm going to ask Heather, ask you to come up here and we'll give you a chair, Heather, and, uh, and a microphone. I've got one here for you. But success in life it's not just about living up to your potential or making a name for yourself or providing a comfortable lifestyle for your family or raising kids to win scholarships or pursuing a great education or creating a personal brand. Nope, it's about what verse number 30 says. And if you still got your Bible open, let's read it again. You can have a seat. It's, it says, he must become greater, I must become less. You want to be a success in life? Make him greater, make yourself less. It's about making something great of Jesus. Mark read this verse last week, Matthew 3:11. I baptize you with water for repentance. John the Baptist speaking here, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Earlier in the service we read John 1:27, he who comes, or excuse me, I didn't read that. Um, but earlier in the in the book of John it says this uh, John 1:27, he is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And what's the attitude that you see of John the Baptist? It's not about being great. It's about making him great. It's not about making a name for myself. It's about making his name known. It's not about being number one. It's about being two. So success is living a life of humility. Success is living a life of service. Success is realizing it's all a gift and using the gift well. Success is living out God's purpose for your life. It's doing what's yours to do. Success is finding joy in the right place. Success is making it all about Jesus. Success is being okay with being number two. And from there, we're going to transition to Heather Askew. And I'm so glad that you're here this morning, Heather. Thanks for joining us. Came all the way to Thailand just to be with us. Made a few stops morning, along the way. Everyone. I'm not sure if I got you on or not. Do you have a green light there? I had a green light. Now it's red. Keep talking. Keep talking. Okay, there we go. All right. Good morning. Good morning. So I'm so glad that you're here and coming to us from Thailand. And uh, Heather 
she could tell you more, and she will afterwards. Heather works with families in Thailand um, in, in several different ways in, in trying to build family units that function. That's maybe the, the really uh, a, a harsh way to say it, but um, also works with education and also works with students and our kids getting citizenship. And, uh, but I want to steer away from that to start with, okay? I want to hear a little bit just about your story. I'm assuming you graduated from high school? Yes. <laughs> All right. Tell, tell us where you came from and kind of your, your path. Uh, okay, I grew up in Washington State in a little tiny town in southeastern Washington called Prosser. It's like 4,000 people. Um, and graduated from Prosser High School. We only have one high school, so not a lot of options. Did you have more than 13 students? We had 100 students graduate in so, my class. Okay, she came so from a big school. Okay, so, <laughs> all right, go, go on. So. Uh, and I went to college at Central Washington University, which some people say is not a real university, but it is, um, <laughs> in Ellensburg, which is the set, very exact center of Washington State. Uh, so, yeah, do you want to just tell? Okay, so. and then from college, you went where? Uh, after college, I spent a few months living in Seattle, and then I moved to Los Angeles. Why? Because I wanted to work in movies. <laughs> I okay, wanted to work in movies, okay? So My grandma said, you spend a lot of time watching movies. Why don't you go work in them? I was like, all right. <laughs> so, all right. So you went, to, you went to L.A. to work in movies. Mm -hmm. Were you able to get any jobs there? Sorry? D did you get any jobs there or anything? Yeah, I started out working in commercials, first of all, and then became uh, studied to become a script supervisor, which is like continuity, all the continuity stuff. Uh, and then I transitioned into working in films and a little bit of TV. Okay, now. For about 10 years. Okay, now, I, the rumor is, and this could be false, so it's a rumor, okay, and so y you know the same people I know, so you know who told me the rumor, right? So, um, Ken and Sharon Wade. But uh, anyhow, you were actually a script writer? Script supervisor. Script supervisor, you didn't actually write Did scripts? Not write. No. Okay, well, I'm just, yeah. Just made sure people said the words correctly. <laughs> okay, okay, script supervisor. Okay, so you're in Los Angeles, you're doing TV, movie work. Uh huh. How'd you get to Thailand? So when I was working in film, I ended up connecting with some producers who started doing movies overseas. So I did movies in India, Jordan, Lebanon, and was like, you know, uh, we worked in a lot of places with like really impoverished people. And I just started feeling like, okay, working in independent film is great and it's wonderful, but I just felt like I could be doing more with my skill set to actually like impact the lives of people like on the ground. So I started thinking about like, what else could I do besides working in film? And then uh, pretty shortly after I came back from India, my church in Los Angeles, uh, which was called Catalyst, uh, they were planning a trip to Thailand for two weeks to work with um, an organization called the Garden of Hope, which doesn't exist anymore. Now it's just an education program, but we went to work there for two weeks. And um, yeah, my pastor was like, so pretty much nobody on this trip has like been out of the country. So can you come on this mission trip and like help because you've done all this traveling? And I was like, all right, I guess. <laughs> so it was like not planned at all um, by, um, by myself. I mean, obviously planned by God, but yeah. So we went for two weeks and I just like instantly fell in love with the kids. I had never planned to go to Thailand before at all. Like I had gone on a couple mission trips. Like I met my friend Trisha who's here um, on a mission trip to Africa. And so I always thought like, if I'm going to go anywhere, it's going to be Africa, not Thailand. But went for two weeks and just fell in love with the kids and fell in love with the people and the organization that we, we worked with in the after school program. Um, we worked with kids, they worked with kids who lived in the slums in like the red light district. There's a lot of drugs and prostitution, alcoholism. Um, so really unsafe 
location for the kids to live. Uh, so yeah, they, the staff were like, you should come work with us. And I was like, I don't know. Maybe I'll come for the day. So what, what do we got there? Uh, I think our battery's dead. We got a battery? So, because this is good. We don't want to miss it. In the meantime, while we're waiting for her battery, I'm going to sing a little song. Just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. I so, uh, so, all right. We'll, we'll, get you, we'll get you plugged up here. By the way, uh, running up on the screen behind us here this morning, um, these are some of the places where she's working and uh, some of the cases that she's working on, and we'll have her uh, describe that in just a little bit. So, you know, I could probably figure that out. I'm so sorry. So, okay. All right. Yes. So, thanks. Thanks, William. So, all right. Go ahead. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, I came back from, from Thailand. I didn't want to come back from Thailand. I was, like, crying the entire way to the airport, and I do not cry in front of people, so it was very embarrassing. Um, I was like, just leave me here. I was like, stay here. My, and our pastor was like, I'm pretty sure you need a visa to stay here. <laughs> so, we only had a tourist visa, so we had to come back. Um, but after I got back to L.A., I was like having dreams about the kids, like, super vivid dreams of being in Thailand every single night for, like, weeks. Huh. I was like, I don't know what's going on. So I told my pastor, I was like, man, I, this is, I came back, I've been having all these dreams, and then he's like, maybe God's calling you to be a missionary in Thailand. I was like, well, obviously that's not the case. Like, that makes no sense. <laughs> um, but then, uh, yeah, I randomly started talking about it to total strangers at Christmas parties, and they were like, oh, well, do you need money for that? And I was like, yeah, I don't really want to fundraise. And they were like, we'll give you 200 bucks. I was like, I literally met you 10 minutes ago. What are you even talking about? Um, so it was just like one thing after another, and like within three months, I had the funding to um, move to Thailand for a year. Okay. So, yeah. so you went from being working in the film industry in Hollywood in Los Angeles to... To Thailand, we'd say in three months. Uh, yeah, well, four months, I guess. Four months. We went the first time in November, and then I moved there March 23rd. All right. So, so it's been 11 years now. So do you miss L.A.? Not really. <laughs> I like going to visit. I like going back and visiting my like, friends and the places I used to go and stuff. But. Okay, so like, um, this was not exactly a career path that you're looking to go on then. So like, let's go to <laughs> Thailand and work with kids who need help. No, not really. I mean, like, I always wanted to work with kids. I always liked working with kids, but I never planned to, like, move to another country and start a nonprofit organization, no. <laughs> okay, so you, I, we're running out of time, but can you – it's not your fault. It's mine. I talk too much. But uh, um, give us, like, a, a capsule of what you're doing there. Okay, so uh, I moved to work at that after-school program. I worked there for three years. Then I worked at an organization called HUG Project. Um, it stands for Hope, Understanding, and Grace. We worked with kids who were uh, actual victims of trafficking and sexual abuse. And so through those two programs, I was like, there's all these holes that nobody's addressing that are leading to trafficking. So some of my Thai um, friends from work and I decided to start Jojo Sanctuary in 2016. So now we focus on those like gaps in service. So we do education scholarships, uh, as we mentioned, citizenship. Um, we do short-term foster care for kids transitioning from an orphanage back into their biological family. And we do family strengthening programs um, to try to keep families together and keep kids out of orphanages and make sure that the families are safe and whole and happy. Okay. So this is called JoJo's Sanctuary. And in the lobby, there are some products that are made by some of the yes. women. So in our, uh, part of our family strengthening program is we provide uh, grants for families to, um, to do something that's like kind of they have ownership over um, to make extra income for their families so they can afford to keep their kids with them. 
instead of putting them to an orphanage. And so uh, we bought a lot of sewing machines for several families, or we bought a sewing machine for several families. Uh, and so the things that I brought are all made, handmade by the people in our family strengthening program. Um, so if you're interested in purchasing anything, there's stuff in the back and then all that money goes back into our family strengthening program to help more families. I think, I think Thailand's not unique in this. In a lot of places in the world, kids go into orphanages. It's not because they don't have parents. Right. It's that they have parents who can't afford them. And uh, so the parents don't know what to do, so they, they basically give them up to somebody else to take care of them. So, so you're trying to keep that from happening so that the kids can stay with parents. So she works with JoJo Sanctuary and these different programs. We've been sponsoring her this year. Um, and some of, some of our support money, the faces and the names that have been coming up on the, on the screen here, it's, our funding has helped them get citizenship. Yeah, so before you guys started sponsoring us, we were doing about three cases a year. And now, right now, we have 22 cases we're working on, and that's like in large part because of you guys have been sponsoring us and giving us the funding to be able to work with so many families. So. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So, um, that uh, and, you know, as a church, we're always saying, okay, where is God leading us to? And uh, and uh, we kind of got connected with Heather through Ken and, and Barb, and uh, and we're like, well, let's give this a shot. So this is like a little, little bit of vision. Sometimes God just says, like, that's exactly where we need to go, right? So. She's going to be available afterwards. I would love for you to connect with her. She can tell you about more of these people. She could probably talk about some of these kids forever because you could just tell how connected she is with her heart to what she's doing there. But I appreciate uh, Heather coming this morning and joining us and, uh, and sharing a little bit of your story too. So, Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for your prayers and support. It really means a lot. It's a lot of time and energy and like emotional <laughs> into all these cases. So. Okay, and you had something else that we... Um, that you wanted to present? Oh, yes. Down there. Okay. Take your microphone with you, and you can just do it from there. So. Trisha brought it for me. Uh, we just wanted to give you guys, as a token of our appreciation, um, this, like, handmade um, tablecloth from Thailand. So you can wash it in the machine, but they need a turn for that too. Okay. But, uh, yeah, because we figured churches are always having events, so you can use it for your events. All right, yeah, very good. So, all right, thanks so much, Heather. Appreciate your, your being here. So, so let's just wrap this up this morning, though. I always think this is interesting sometimes how God works things out. Because we're talking about graduation Sunday and we're talking about this passage of scripture. And then you sit and listen to Heather's story. So for Heather's success, probably when you were graduating from high school or college, would have been this career in the film industry. But it's really changed for you. Its success now is how do I help a, a, a kid that's undocumented in, in the hills of Thailand get citizenship so that they have access to a better life and, and uh, hopefully access to hear about Jesus Christ. And so... It's a case of just simply saying, what is the gifts that I've been given? What are the opportunities that I've been given? And what do I do with them? Or, or we can put it this way, how do I make myself number two? And I love the, the verse that we started with. Let me just finish with that this morning that we read. In Luke seven twenty eight, Jesus said, I tell you, among those born of women, there is none greater than John. But check out the last part of that verse. We didn't really highlight it. 
Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. It wasn't like John got given the number one position and we're all fighting for the one underneath it. It's like John was given that position and every other person who can learn to live like John learned, where you make other people more important, where you make Jesus Christ more important, where you live humbly, gratefully, responsibly, the person who lives like that, they can be great in the kingdom of God. And that's what success is. Success whether you graduated in the 40s or the 50s or the 60s or the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or the O's or the 10s or, or even this year, success is simply this, being number two. Let's pray. God, thank you for the example of John the Baptist who never made it about himself. In fact, the fact that he didn't ultimately cost him his life, but he always made it about Jesus. And so, God, we are encouraged by him and challenged by him to live lives that reflect this idea of being number two. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to consider that this morning, to invite him into your life, to make him number one, to make yourself number two. I'd love to talk to you more about that and share with you. If you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you've Graduated in the past, you're graduating this year, whatever. Success is measured not by how great we become, but how great we make Jesus. Not by being number one, but by being number two. Where in your life do you see to see what you have as a gift? Where do you need to be more humble? Where do you mean to be more grateful? Where do you need to be more intentional about using that gift responsibly? God, we lift ourselves up to you, grateful for the difference that you make in our lives, asking you to help us to be who you want us to be. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.